Hey everybody, Dave Hodges here. Thanks for staying with us in our guest segment and a pretty interesting intro segment, wasn't it? But we have a fascinating guest for you in this segment, John Guandolo, and he's formerly with the FBI and he's now an author. We're going to talk about some of his books a little bit later on, but uh, he made some predictions about what was going to happen in America, um, jihadi-wise. Uh, we're talking today also about communist insurrection. And, you know, if you follow me, you know, I use the term Bolshevik. I think we could probably interchange those terms. Man, we're going to get into all this with John in just a minute, but we got to pay some bills. There's a couple of groups that uh, keep the lights on for us here, and uh, we appreciate them. Uh, first of all, we're looking at, uh, well, you need, well, let me put it this way, okay? Sound like a bad salesman, but we need storable food. Right now, we got 19 meatpacking plants that are closed down. We got slaughtered cows all over the country by the millions, poultry the same thing, pouring out milk by the ranchers and farmers. And a lot of people feel we're eating yesterday's harvest. And I'm concerned. And now we have a rice shortage on top of that. Food inflation is arriving. My wife got limited last week when she went to shop for meat. So did my sister, two different cities. So take care of yourself, get some storable food and we represent the best. Uh, they've got a great sale going on right now, nearly 40% off the four-week emergency package, and people are ordering those in bulk, like 8, 10, 12, 20 of these at a time because the price is so good. It's restaurant quality and 25-year shelf life. Okay, go to preparewithdave.com. And also, conversely, if we ever got into a prolonged crisis, finding water would be your number one challenge, according to the Naval War College, as they list waterborne illnesses as the leading cause of death on the fifth day of a major crisis. Well, we can help you with that. You can find standing water, but you may not find drinkable standing water. And we've got the best water filter going. The research on this is at waterwithdave.com. The name of the product is the Alexa Pure Pro Water Filter. And they've got a 40% off sale. You don't want to sit on this. You want to move on this. So you got preparewithdave.com. you got waterwithdave.com. And now we've got John Guandolo with Dave. And we're going to be talking much about uh, these issues we just mentioned. As I mentioned, we're going to be talking about the communist insurrection. John is a graduate of the Naval Academy, combat veteran, served in the Marine Corps. Um, he's the author of several books, Threat to America, uh, Raising a Jihadi Generation. And the year on that was 2013. That's really telling. And Islam's Deception, The Total Truth About Sharia, 2019. And uh, his, his books are available, and we'll be letting him tell you how to get a hold of these books. Um, he was part of the formation of the um, counterterrorism unit with the FBI, served a long time in the FBI. I mean, this is one of the most impressive resumes of public service that we've ever had for a guest. And we've had some great guests on here. We've had NSA, CIA, but uh, this is just fantastic stuff. John is also the president of the founder of the Understanding the Threat, UTT for short. And I'm sure he's going to be talking about that. John, I, if I kept talking about your intro here, we, we'd use up the whole hour. <laughs> so you've got so many things you've accomplished. Well, you don't have to do that. No, I know, but I, it just, you know, and, and I got to tell you, I'm really unhappy with the FBI leadership of late, but I never diminish the quality of the agents that have served there. I, I had a good friend, I'll mention her name, Manuela Libra. I went to college with her at the University of Denver. She rose to a pretty high rank. Now she does private security work one of the best human beings I've ever known and boy I wouldn't want to be on the end of one of her arrests <laughs> and, and so there are so many great people in the FBI uh, it's just a shame that through a lot of our agencies as one of my DHS friends says you can't trust anyone above a GS 15 and above I would I would concur with that 
I'm not even sure I'd go up to GS-15 level, but uh, I agree with that. I think that, uh, matter of fact, one of the, it's interesting you said that because uh, apart from recommending that when Mr. Trump took office, he fire everybody in the military with a star on their shoulder, I would say everybody above a GS-15 and, and above that level should be purged from the system. And uh, I know I got some raised eyebrows when I said it, but now all of a sudden, not such a bad idea. <clears throat> and I think it should still be done. Well, John, we're seeing, in my opinion, treason from uh, uh, General Mattis, who served his country bravely. I mean, I have no problem with the service, but you can't tell people not to obey the commander in chief. And then General John Allen from the Marine Corps turned around and did the same thing. Yeah, we've got, uh, We've got admirals and generals. I mean, Admiral Mullen, same thing. You've got uh, the Secretary of Defense. And the key, uh, and I, I do, based on what I've seen and what you've shared with me, I, I, you understand what's going on. But I think when people look at the violence in the streets, and there are a number of people that seem to think the violence is justified. And, uh, of course, it's not. Because the reasons for the violence, uh, as we've been told, are lies the people perpetrating the violence are not civil rights groups. They're communist groups. Antifa and Black Lives Matter are running this show, along with Hamas groups, Hamas being a foreign terrorist organization doing business as the Council on American-Islamic Relations. And so when you have leaders at that level that are parroting the narratives that advance the communist movement, how can it be considered anything else but what you just described as treason? And that, that's where we stand today. And yet, it is uh, still and nothing being done about it. I think there's a broad distinction, though. I think people could look at the Floyd situation and say that's wholly inappropriate and understand why they'd be outraged to go to protest. But the protesting stops when the Molotov cocktails and the firebombs come out. That's correct. And I want to make uh, something clear for the audience. The uh, What we've witnessed... Uh, here in the United States. These are not protests that were hijacked. Uh, from the beginning, these were Black Lives Matter. These were communist, violent riots with the purpose of creating insurrection in the United States uh, to serve their greater purpose. And they have been very clear on their websites that their purpose is to bring down the Constitutional Republic and replace it with a communist socialist government. That means that activities that serve that purpose are part of a criminal conspiracy to overthrow the government, it's sedition and it's treason. And treason's a capital crime. Wow, um, you said that so succinctly and it's so powerful, but I, I agree with you. This is treason against the Republic, but we also, let me ask you this, does that extend to Mattis and Allen and Mullen and these guys uh, who are saying don't obey the president, isn't that tantamount to the same thing? It is, and, and to be clear, you know, uh, Lenin, um, the you know founder of the Russian Revolution, uh, said he would identify people like Esper and Mattis and Mullen and others, uh, Mitt Romney, as useful idiots uh, because they parrot the communist narrative and yet they may have no idea that what they're doing is advancing the communist movement, but it matters not in the eyes of the law. They are part of a group, and 
the communists view them as soldiers in the communist army, whether they understand what they're doing or not, they're participating in the violent revolution against the United States. And I will tell you from my perspective, I consider those people enemies. And when it gets really hot and the gunfire starts going, that's where I view Nikki Haley, George Bush, Admiral Mullen, General Mattis, these are enemies of the United States. And it matters, as a matter of fact, classic Marxist doctrine identifies these people and says that they probably will not understand that their actions are actually benefiting and advancing the communist movement, but they are. And so the way the law views it, because their actions practically help the conspiracy to overthrow the government, they're participating in sedition and treason, and that's what it is. How did we get here? I mean, I, I just, you know, I, I've always covered conspiracy stuff. I mean, I'm the victim, long story short here, going back to 2003, John McCain, when I moved into my retirement home, or what would become my retirement home, John McCain and his merry banker friends from the Central American Free Trade Agreement wanted to put a highway through our area and disguise it as something else, and they were trying to erode our property rights, so over time we'd all lose our land and they didn't have to compensate us. We had an eight-year battle. We eventually won. Um, so I've been fighting this for a long time. But if you'd have told me that we'd be calling out ma major members of a political party, in this case the Democrats, or major members of our military establishment or former military members, I wouldn't have believed it. I would. How did we get to this point? Uh, we got to this point because there are organized, intentional efforts by the communist movement, the communist counterstate that's been in this country for almost 100 years, uh, intentional, organized, well-coordinated efforts by the Islamic movement or counterstate, which has been here since the 1960s. And they have told us when we read their documents that we've obtained through FBI raids and uh, raids by intelligence services and security services overseas, when you actually read what they say, they tell us what they're doing, and the way that they are going to do what they do and the way they've done it is the slow erosion of our system in order to advance their cause through significant subversion and propaganda to eventually establish, in the case of the Islamic counterstate, uh, Islam under Islamic law, a caliphate here in the United States, and communism, a communist government here. And the response from the federal government for between 60 and 90 years has been uh, no strategy. Uh, and in the last uh, 20 to 30 years, it's been a complete uh, bury your head in the sand because I, I don't want to offend the Muslims. And so instead of doing their duty, which they've sworn to do through oaths of office, um, they have not done their duty. And uh, they failed catastrophically. And let me be clear. When I got recruited out of the FBI at the end of 2008 by the Department of Defense and into a very unique unit, and they, uh, a big part of what I did was speak to senior government officials and senior retired government officials in order to gain momentum to do what you are suggesting, which is to do something to create a counter strategy to these massive movements. Uh, because when you have an enemy operating this way and your response is to do nothing, then necessarily the enemy will get will achieve their objectives. Um, 
But when I went and briefed generals and admirals and directors of the Defense Intelligence Agency and the Central Intelligence Agency and chairman of the Homeland Security Committee and the Intelligence Committee and the Judiciary Committee in Congress, literally myself and one other guy briefing these individuals, we never briefed anybody that had any clue about what we were talking about. And I'm talking about I worked with General Mattis, briefed him numerous times, worked with him. He, re he really was obstinate uh, about understanding the, the depth and breadth of the Islamic movement. And what I came to realize is General Mattis has a worldview that's incredibly um, slanted politically left. And uh, obviously that's come to pass since he has openly supported political policies uh, that are radically uh, left-wing Marxist policies. But anyway, uh, that, that's where we are. So that's the answer to your question, how did we get here? Well, I, it's interesting you mentioned Mattis twisting to the left. I don't know how you can risk your life for your country and not be patriotic, but his views are coming across as anti-patriotic. That, that's the trouble I have. That's my disconnect with understanding where he's coming from. I just, I, I look at my own father, you know, who was a career naval officer, and um, you couldn't talk bad about this country. You, you could criticize, you know, politically, but but this was a great country and that's how most of the military i encountered as a kid on living on military bases felt has there been a decided shift in that time was it that obama recruited the right type of left-wing dissidents that changed the military is that how it happened well there are a number of things and again i would say that the uh, the marxist communist movement has done their their work in the uh, army war college the marine corps university command and staff college Joint Forces Staff College in the universities like Harvard and Georgetown where we train our senior uh, State Department CIA military officials uh, in public policy and Middle East studies and things like that. And uh, what they've been taught are narratives and not fact, not objective truth. And so they've been taught things like if I'm a general, my job is to manage chaos instead of win wars. And when you do that over a period of 20 plus years, that has a significant effect on the leadership ability and uh, the political slant of your generals. I would also say when we decided to promote generals, instead of letting the army promote one, two, three, and four-star generals, and we made it, you have to be selected by the U.S. Senate and approved, that's nonsense. That should end. I wondered about the that Navy, yeah. The Navy should be able to select their admirals, the Marine Corps, their generals, the Army, their generals, and the Air Force of generals and the Coast Guard, their admirals, et cetera. That's the way it works. Uh, when you get politicians like senators involved, horrible. Uh, the other thing I'd say, which to your listeners may not seem to be directly aligned or connected, but uh, we need to repeal the 17th Amendment, which is we need to allow uh, the U.S. senators to be chosen by the state houses. Yeah the way it was intended by our founders and the way the government was established. It's one of the greatest destructions of our civil government. Uh, the fact that they are now, instead of representatives of the states and uh, upholding the Constitution, they um, literally are just like six-year representatives that serve six-year terms. It's outrageous. It's an it's a abomination to the Constitution. Um, but that, of course, was passed by Marxists and uh, progressives 
and uh, there you have it. So, I, but I think that has a direct influence on all this uh, as we've politicized the military. A lot of people don't understand that that change came in with the direct election of senators. That came in around the same time frame as the Federal Reserve, the graduated income tax. Um, all the communist policies were starting to be put into place under Woodrow Wilson, and that was one of them as well. They knew what they were doing when they did this, because if you had a Senate that was elected by the state representatives, they truly represent the state they come from, or they wouldn't be in office. And now they they act like they're international positions. I mean, you know, like McCain, for example, um, he seemed to be more interested in representing Israel than, than his own state. Well, I think uh, one of the problems is, um, I mean, look, politicians are, are politicians. Our system, uh, we could argue our system's all corrupt and all this, um, and that's, that's true. The problem is our system isn't corrupt. Our system has been corrupted because we have allowed things that are not the free market system, that are not the, con the basis for the Constitutional Republic. We've allowed these things to come into our system and pollute it. So if we got back to a free market system, we abolished um, these kinds of, uh, if we certainly cut all government spending to places where there's no constitutional mandate at the federal level, uh, we cut uh, the federal income tax and we created, whether it's a national sales tax or whatever, uh, maybe an income tax that, uh, I, I'm not in agreement with an income tax. Uh, there, there are other ways to do this. Uh, where you're paying a very small percentage and the government has to deal with what they get. First is national defense, since that's the government's primary role. But the fact that you have the federal government pay, paying for stadiums, paying for uh, uh, Social Security, welfare, Medicare, um, those are all nice, but that those are things the state should be doing for its citizens. So give all that money back. So fiscally, economically, we're not operating in a free market system. Um, where the government's trying to do things that churches and nonprofits should be doing. Uh, when it comes to authority, we're not respecting people's life, liberty, the fact we're killing uh, about a million uh, innocent babies every year, uh, and that's government-sponsored genocide. Uh, th that kind of stuff. We need to talk about it, I believe, in these terms. And you want to talk about a national security issue. I think these are national security issues. Um, and if you're going to talk about things you need to do them truthfully. And what we're in a point right now where the federal government is incapable of protecting us. And as we've watched literally many, many local police chiefs uh, join these communists on the street by kneeling down, laying down, bowing down, kissing their feet. Uh, these people should be indicted for conspiring to overthrow the government along with these communists. That's where I think we are. And if citizens uh, understand that that is what is actually going on. I think, uh, at least in my experience, we're watching is tens of millions of Americans uh, who are watching this and get it. They they agree. Yeah, but we've been subverted on the inside politically too. Are you familiar with Trevor Loudon's work, Enemies Within? Trevor Loudon is a good friend. I was actually in that uh, movie he did, Enemies Within. Uh, the book oh, yes, is yes. brilliant. I was a part of that uh, that film that he did. Yeah, That's right. he's a good friend and a great asset. Well, I talked to uh, former Congressman West and former Congresswoman Cynthia McKinney a number of times. And I said, what do you think about Trevor's presentation there in Enemies Within? I was sold. I thought the documentation was solid. And Cynthia said to me, she said, Dave, you know that uh, <laughs> those 80 people, 
they are indeed in front groups for the Muslim Brotherhood. They are indeed in front groups for the American Communist Party. She said, no question. And Congressman West said the same thing. <clears throat> so I, I, th that's subversion right there. Um, I mean, we have people who are dedicated to foreign entities that want to overthrow this government. And I'm saying they serve right inside our own government. Oh, you're absolutely right. And uh, th that, what I'm surprised at is even today when I republish stuff that I did 10 or 15 years ago showing the number of people inside the government, uh, and not even, you know, guys like Abdurrahman Alamudi, who was a financier for Al-Qaeda working with President Clinton and the State Department and Colin Powell and uh, President Bush and these guys until uh, the FBI, uh, we, we arrested him and uh, he's, he's still in prison. Financier for Al-Qaeda who created the Muslim chaplain program for the Department of Defense and was the Islamic advisor to President of the United States or, you know, Anwar al-Awlaki, who the United States killed in 2011 in a drone strike, but uh, after the time of 9-11 and, and before and after, working with government officials, um, working, you know, giving talks in the U.S. House of Representatives and the Congress. I mean, we, we have no idea how to discern friend from foe because since 9-11, and I would argue never, has the United States in this war against the communists and the uh, jihadis in the last 30 years have we actually identified the threat and articulated it to the American people. If the American people knew, for instance, if the president just said, do you know Black Lives Matter is a communist group? No questions about it. That's a fact. The three ladies that founded it are Marxist communists who have worked for Marxist communist organizations. I mean, Opal Tometi, we got a picture of her with uh, the leader of communist Venezuela, Maduro. I mean, for goodness sakes, uh, chuckling away. It, but the fact is they have actually been in leadership positions of U.S. communist organizations. Um, so just that, people don't know, that's not a commonly known thing. They think Black Lives Matter is some you know, mildly left-wing group that wants equal rights. That's just not true. It's a hostile, communist, anti-American organization that seeks to overthrow the government. And it needs to be treated like that. And its leaders need to be treated like that. And the useful idiots that say, we're on this side, we're standing with this army, they need to be treated like they're part of the communist army, because they are. Yeah, that's uh, that's really well stated. I, To me... I find it interesting the NAACP has not come into these issues, which tells me they're not in agreement. What do you think about that? Um, we found uh, that, at least on the issues that I've been involved in, uh, in calling out communists and, and uh, jihadis in local, uh, at the local level, that the NAACP has always been against us the, uh, and groups like it. Uh, now, I have not seen their response recently, so I don't know what they're, what they're actually, where they stand on this in the last few days. I'd be curious. Um, but my experience is historically they've stood with the Marxists and, and the jihadis. Interesting. So is this a marriage between American communist interests and Muslim interests, Muslim Brotherhood terrorist interests? Absolutely. Okay, that's what uh, I'm getting, at, yeah. Yeah, at the ground level. Uh, we see groups like, uh, and, and at the national level too, but at the local level, we see Muslim Brotherhood groups like the Islamic Circle of North America, the Islamic Society of North America, the Muslim Students Association, 
working with the uh, communist Marxist groups, be they uh, Answer, Act Now, Stop War and Racism, uh, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, uh, Code Pink, uh, these kinds of groups and others. Um, at, the, uh, at the international level, even at the military level, we see groups like um, Antifa going overseas. We have the declassified FBI reports of uh, Antifa from Oakland going to Germany and meeting with uh, ISIS and Al-Qaeda operatives um, to discuss obtaining uh, weapons, including weapons of mass destruction, biological uh, and chemical weapons to bring back to the United States for targeting. So yeah, they're at the operational, tactical, kinetic level, meaning military level, they're working. And at the local level, like local mayors, local uh, folks at state level, uh, attorney generals, governors, uh, working with these folks. So yes, there's a, and, and by the way, you know, we at Understanding the Threat have our own intelligence network. And I will tell you that we know that at the ground level, there's a lot of contact. Uh, a lot of physical meetings face-to-face, -face, uh, a lot of coordination at that level as well. But they're also doing it openly now. It's not, not much of a, they're not really hiding much at this point. It doesn't look like it. But help me understand something. So we take someone who's of the Muslim faith and background here in this country. Are, are there a number of Muslims that are separated from these extremist movements that kind of live outside this and live like average Americans without the left-wing involvement? Um, so I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit with your question. Okay. It's a really, it's a really good question, but for your audience, I want to use it as a, uh, uh, a, a teaching tool because I suspect that's why you asked it. Yes. And the way you, is, is that, um, when we talk about radicals or extremists, uh, there's nothing that Al Qaeda and the Islamic state or ISIS have ever done that is uh, outside of normative and universally accepted Islamic teachings, nothing. And so uh, one of the things I would encourage your, your listeners to do is if you disagree with me, then, then give me one example. Because uh, if you're gonna say something like setting a Jordanian pilot on fire in a cage, lawful under Islamic law, crucifixion, uh, beheading, whipping uh, people for uh, non-married people for having sex with a hundred lashes, lawful. Um, stoning people to death for adultery, lawful. And that's lawful in all normative and universally taught Islamic uh, doctrine. That's They teach it to 10-year-olds in U.S. Islamic schools. So when you say that's radical, uh, or when someone says to us that's extremist, then I would say, okay, if it's extremist, then what's the normative teaching? And of course, they can never answer that. Or when they say something like, oh, you know, the normative teaching is love your neighbor. I'm like, okay, can you name me one Islamic school on the planet that says that? Because we haven't found one. And I've read textbooks from every continent that has an Islamic school on it. From European countries, Asia, I've gone through the textbooks. Literally looked through them. And we teach from a couple of those textbooks that are used, the most widely used ones in the United States. And they all say exactly what ISIS and Al-Qaeda says. So when you say that ISIS and Al-Qaeda, when people say that they're, they're, they're extreme, radical, I would say that, that that's just not factually true. They're, what ISIS and Al-Qaeda teach is normative 
and universally accepted doctrine. And if you believe that's not to show me where what ISIS and Al Qaeda teach is uh, is different than what they teach young children in U.S. Islamic schools. Okay, I, I understand what you're saying with that. And you're saying their normal is a lot different than the American normal, the traditional American normal. I, I get that. Um, th th one of the things I know from my history that the Muslim Brotherhood was actually created by the Nazis to raise havoc with our forces in North Africa during World War II. In fact, Patton even said they caused him more problems than the Germans did. So when we look at that and, and that influence with the Muslim Brotherhood, is there are there tones, overtones of uh, Nazi philosophy and what's going on today as well? Or is that something where Nazi philosophies will surface if the bad guys ever take over our government? Let, can you talk about the Nazis a little bit with regard to the Muslim Brotherhood? Yes. So what I would say about that is uh, it's, I, it's the other way around. I mean, Islam's been around a lot longer than the Nazis. And um, when we say, see things, for instance, first of all, let me address the crux of your question. During World War II, uh, uh, Haj Amin al-Husseini, who was the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, worked and met with Adolf Hitler. And we have the notes uh, of those meetings. And we have a photograph of them meeting. Uh, so that's a known thing. We know that al-Husseini set up the Hanzar divisions that were SS divisions inside the Nazi uh, military, and they were all Bosnian Muslim a division. Uh, so that's significant that many people are not aware of, and they were, at least according to the SS, fierce fighters. Um, but when it comes to what the Nazis did, it's the other way. The Nazis basically mimicked what the, the Muslims were teaching them. So when we see the idea of putting making Jews wear stars, that's a part of Islamic law that uh, Jews in, in the Islamic State have to wear symbols on the exterior of their clothing to identify themselves. And uh, so do Christians. So these are things that come from Islam that the Nazis uh, adapted and utilized. Um, and obviously they had common cause in killing the Jews because uh, Islam, normative and universally accepted Islamic teaching, is that the Jews are in perpetual enmity with the Muslims and must be killed. As a matter of fact, uh, core Islamic teaching is that um, the Islamic prophet Jesus will return and kill all the Jews at the, uh, at the end of time. Um, and so this is normative teaching. So all of this uh, is, are places where these, uh, these doctrines overlap. So there is an overlap. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I clearly see that. It's almost like the J stamp. Was, was that a Muslim creation then? When you say the J stamp. You know, in other words, you had to have an ID if you were Jewish in the early days of the persecution, and it had a J on it to designate Jew. Oh, right. Yes. So, as I was saying, in, the, in Islamic law, uh, using physical signs of non-Muslims, whether it's putting it on their homes... Uh, the signs that uh, this is a Christian home versus a Muslim home, uh, making Jews and Christians wear things on their clothing, all of that is a part of Islamic law, basic Islamic law. Wow. that's this. I'm getting quite an education here because I've kind of sensed the integration of these different forces, but I have, and the overlap, I should say, but, um, but not quite to this extent. And it's amazing. So 
is it safe to say that what's going on here inside the United States today, right now in the present time, is the result of a long-term global conspiracy to take down the republic? Absolutely. And it's not, you know, I would say when I use the word conspiracy, I'm using it in the in the sense that there is a real criminal uh, conspiracy, but it's bigger than that. These things are capital M movements, meaning they are societal movements where and, and in the political warfare realm, the term of art is the counter state. It's uh, originally the covert entity that destroys the state from within, and it's called the counter state. And uh, there is a communist counter state in the United States and an Islamic counter state right now. So from a military warfare perspective, both of these exist in the United States right now. Each is devastatingly dangerous to the United States. And the worst part of it is, as you know, and as we've just talked about, they're actually working together. And so that makes it much more dangerous. So when you've got an entire political party that's leading the communist movement, the Democrat Party, which is the Communist Party in the United States today, uh, and you've got them literally working directly with the leadership of the U.S. Muslim Brotherhood, Nihad Awad, Osama Jamal, um, leaders from the Council on American Islamic Relations, which is Hamas in the United States, with Muslim Brotherhood entities, the Muslim American Society, the Islamic Society of North America, the Islamic Circle of North America, Muslim Students Association, on and on. Uh, you can see how at the local, state, and national level, they are just crushing it. And their, their movements are accelerating at their pace. This is just, this is overwhelming. And, and um, I would say today, on uh, June the 8th, they're winning. Uh, no doubt. I would argue they're going to win um, if we do not take radical action. And that's why, you know, I will tell you uh, what's interesting is, um, yeah, in the last couple of years, but really I would say like eight or 10 or 12 years ago when we were doing a lot of briefings, especially in between like 2008 and 2013 up on Capitol Hill doing a lot of briefings, um, what I found the most is your average member of Congress uh, who has the attention span with the exception of a handful of them, of a gnat, uh, they would, you know, you get 10 minutes into talking to them about this and they'd be like, okay, 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 tell me what to do. And I'd be like, sir, if I tell you what the solution is, and this is back in 2009, 10, cause I could, we could all, we could, those of us that understood this could see where this was going. And I just said, sir, if I tell you the solution, you're gonna think it's too aggressive until you understand the threat, hence the name of my organization. And once you understand the threat, you will think that the things I'm recommending are actually not aggressive enough. That's the problem. And the problem is, uh, I think one of the biggest problems in the last 20 years is the military leadership and the civilian leadership has not stopped to take the time to actually understand the threat and to realize how well-organized, well-coordinated, well-led, well-funded it is that it has each of them, the communist and the Islamic movements, Islamic counterstate, communist counterstate, that they have strategies, that they have doctrine that supports what they're doing, and that they have lines of operation that they are working on every day 
to push their movements forward. And they are being very successful. They really are. I, I want to focus on an individual here that caught my attention years ago. And it had to do with Benghazi. His name was General Ham. He was the head of AFRICOM at the time. I'm sure you're familiar with him. And he conspired with a Navy admiral, and they supposedly had a joint interest to save Ambassador Stevens because Stevens knew he had been hung out to dry by Hillary Clinton's refusal to provide extra protection, and he was in big trouble. And they were told by Panetta to stand down, and they were going to countermand that order, thinking that they got... Um, Stevens out of there he might have sung like a canary about all the corruption that was going on and they were both arrested by their number two I think it was Ham was arrested by Colonel Rodriguez his number two who was actually a CIA operative and uh, as they were going to launch the rescue mission at Benghazi Ham disappears so does the Admiral the Admiral's never reappeared as far as I know and Ham comes back now and he seems to be in good graces again and he's now a converted Muslim what do you know about this so I have no information that General Ham converted Islam, no, no confirmation on that. Um, what I will say about what you brought up about Benghazi is um, from all the uh, information we have, the records, the communications, uh, Admiral Stevens on, on several occasions requested extra security from both State Department, uh, the Diplomatic Service, the Diplomatic Security Service, uh, they requested it directly from the Secretary of State, more um, uh, security over there to include uh, different types of personnel. Uh, I know, though, that General Ham actually, we have the records that he asked Ambassador Stevens when he was going to go from Tripoli to Benghazi, offered to put uh, people on the ground with him, military guys, and he said no. Hmm. Uh, I've not so, heard that. Yeah, so, um, and I do know, because I know guys that were over there. I knew guys in Africa, and I knew guys that, that were, uh, you had uh, JSOC, Joint Special Operations Forces, that were actually conducting an exercise, that were literally in their gear doing an exercise uh, with aircraft uh, that could have re responded had that, you know, had that gone out. So there were, there were a number of things uh, General Ham did launch a uh, they did launch a drone. I think it took about an hour from the time the first call out went to actually get a uh, military drone overhead to to be able to capture and, and provide intelligence for the guys on the ground. Um, and I I would agree with you that Admiral St Stevens needlessly died. That uh, the CIA director, that the State Department, the Secretary of State, Ms. Clinton, uh, they operate they acted in a what I think is a cowardly and incompetent and criminally negligent manner uh, but again I would I would say it's because there was a both uh, deception on their parts I think Miss Clinton uh, lied from the get-go about that whole incident saying it was spawned by a, a video yeah no, uh, it's just no nonsense way. no way that's that's a lie and uh, we now know that is a lie um, but and, and it, we know now that she actually didn't even believe it when she said it. Um, we've got those records, too, of what she actually, her conversations now. That's what happens when time passes and actual transcripts and reports and communications, be they email or written communications, come out. So we know that. Uh, I, don't, I don't know anything about General Ham converting. Um, I don't have any evidence of that. 
uh, my experience with with uh, conversions in the government, at least a lot of them have been people at the State Department and the CIA and senior positions uh, that we know of now. But uh, so that, that those are my my thoughts. Well, John, briefly, what would you tell our audience that needs to happen now to turn back this tide of the communist takeover of America? A um, couple things. You know, understanding the threat, we say you've got two avenues, I believe. First of all, you have to understand a couple big pieces before we talk about the solution. One big piece is this is a war of narratives, that the majority of this war is fought in the, uh, what we call in the military terms, the information battle space. Uh, th this war is fought in the, in the propaganda, the political warfare realms, and, and whoever controls the message controls the day. If you haven't noticed, they control the message from the local, state, national, and international level. Um, we now know about the COVID uh, virus. <clears throat> we were lied to at so many levels, I don't even know where to begin. You want to talk about population control and using fear as a weapon? Pretty, pretty astounding. Yeah. And then we rolled right out of that into this uh, with kinetic action. And so remember to your listeners that the kinetic action you see, like the violence you're seeing on American streets, that's not the purpose. That's not their focus. The focus is you need to be asking, okay, they're being violent. What is it they're trying to achieve? And thank goodness they're so overt about it. What they're trying to achieve is they're trying to overthrow the government. And that has a number of stages to it, which they've already achieved most of them. But they're trying to delegitimize and dismantle law enforcement because as soon as they do that, then they get to take charge. Um, so for instance, Minnesota's city council uh, is likely gonna have a vote here shortly. They've already publicly said a majority of them, a super majority that's veto proof by the mayor uh, is, is gonna vote to dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department if that happens. What will take its place is a Sharia adherent or a, a civil security force which will enforce Sharia in the ground in Minneapolis. Now they won't come whoa, out and whoa, say- Whoa, wait a minute, you're talking about Sharia law will kill you if you don't conform? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And if you know, if you want to watch the uh, um, the happenings, remember, Keith Ellison, the attorney general of Minnesota, stepped down from being the number two guy on a major committee in the House of Representatives to be the attorney general of a state. Now, why would he do that? Well, because they actually have a plan, and they intend for him to be the the uh, leader of the Islamic State in Minnesota when they form it because guess what? They actually believe they're gonna do it. The enemy actually believes they're gonna achieve what they're doing and since for decades our government's response has been to uh, not understand it and brush them off and treat people like me and Trevor Loudon and colleagues of ours as if we're you know creating some kind of bizarre you know Twilight Zone episode and all we do is we just point to the evidence. We point to their documents that we found in FBI searches, and we point to what they actually publish, what their bylaw, like what the Muslim Brotherhood bylaws say. And when you put it all together and you look at their actions on the ground, they're just doing what they said they're going to do. Uh, it's pretty. It's not. A, it's actually. Um, it's actually for a guy like me. It's pretty simple. It's not that complicated. And since uh, the fact is on the table that in 2006 I created the first program in the U.S. government on the kinds of stuff we're talking about. 
And the fact that everything that uh, I've publicly said was going to happen from the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, that we would lose, that Iraq would come under the control of Iran, that we'd lose in Syria because of the Iranian and the Russian involvement, and we detailed it to members of Congress, and that everything that's happened in the United States has unfolded exactly the way we said it was, I would say we have a long track record of being, you know, batting a thousand. So to my critics, I say, you know, look at the numbers. Numbers don't lie. You've been wrong almost 100% of the time. We've been right 100% of the time. And uh, the reason we have is because we actually have decided to read what the enemy says and study what they're doing. And they're doing what they say they're going to do. So to your point, people need to understand, if you've been paying attention, the federal government, the FBI is not going to save you. The cavalry's not coming. The cavalry is not coming. And if you trust your local police, uh, good luck with that after what you've seen the last four or five days when the police around the country let their cities burn. Um, What understanding the threat does is we give you ways to actually engage in this war. You can let us educate and train you and teach you how to organize an army of patriots at the local level to legally engage with these threats and to dismantle them and identify them at the local level and how to be a leader in the community, how to organize, how to build a team. That's what we do. If that's not your bag, then we also allow you to commission us to fight on your behalf. And that requires resources. So we would ask that you financially support us. Go to understandthethreat.com, click on the Freedom Fund and support us. We need monthly support, big donations, moderate donations. We need long-term support. We're the only organization in this country doing what we're doing. We have a track record. I'm working with the, the best people in this country who have been doing this for the longest. These are people that I trained and one of my colleagues trained because we, me and Stephen Coughlin, who used to work for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, we were the first people in the country teaching people in and out of government about these threats and how to deal with them. So use our resources at understandthethreat.com, support us, and then bring us in to train you or contact us through the website to set up trainings for you and others so we can show you how to build a team at your local level and do it immediately because time is running short. It's late. Do you think the election will be the nexus of the takeover or will it happen in another way? Um, I would have, I told, you know, I made comments two weeks ago and said um, that what was happening was the next phase of their movement and what they would do, but what, uh, in other words, this violence, when the communist movement saw that mayors and police chiefs and uh, local officials of both parties, governors, you know, Republican governors, example, Ohio, uh, and, and Democrats were just opening the doors to them to burn their cities and do what they needed to do to bring their movement uh, to the next phase. Uh, yes, then I thought what would happen was then there'd be the political ramifications and then they would do the next wave of violence in the, in the fall. Uh, which they will do. So all of that's true, but what they're doing right now is they're just going to roll this thing forward. They had no idea we would roll over on our backs the way we have. I think they they thought they were going to have a soft time. I don't think they in any way expected the entire country, the police chiefs, to be such cowards and collaborators with what they're doing. Yeah, I, I hear exactly what you're saying, and I agree, and we have an uphill battle here. But... 
I mean, the election. Do you really? I, I'm not sure I got an answer to that question. Is it going to be a pivotal point, or is it going to be this gradual death by a thousand cuts? We're taking over one institution at a time. I think they're going to do everything they can to make sure that the election doesn't happen as they've been doing. And I think that if the election does happen, uh, you know they're out on the streets right now, everybody out there protesting. They have got teams of people signing people up for mail-in ballots. Yes. It, it is the voter fraud of voter frauds uh, that they're setting up, and they are now masters of it. So those, those are the things they're doing. It will be ramped up as we get closer to the election. And if Mr. Trump wins again in November, then you will see this thing go to a whole new level. Like mass casualty events, mass terrorism? I, yes. Mm -hmm. That's what I think, too. I've said the same thing publicly because that's the next level up in this paradigm. Um, you know, I, the thing is, is you need to be on 100 stations a day if you could because, see, this message is not getting out there. And I know because I'm trying to – I probably have said probably 50% of the things that you've said on the show. And my frustration is, is people, you know, have this normalcy bias, CNN tells the truth, and that's about 70% of our country. And if we don't wake these people up in the next three months, I think it's going to be game over. Will we have a purge if these people take over our government? I mean, a serious Nazi-style concentration camp purge? Uh, I think it'll be a slower roll than that because they've already got a significant uh, control in all components of the government. I mean... State Department, Treasury Department, you know, White House National Security staffs. I mean, you go around, they've got it. FBI, CIA, DHS, yeah. uh, Department of Justice. They already have a very stronghold that the communists do, as well as the jihadis. The have Muslims do in DHS. I wrote an article about it in 2012. Absolutely. Obama appointed a bunch of uh, people with Muslim Brotherhood connections. To DHS positions. Yeah, exactly. Well, we've been speaking with uh, John Guandalo, understandingthethreat.com, and his newest book is uh, The Islamic Deception, The Truth About Sharia. And if we're having Sharia states set up in places like Minnesota, we better be reading books like this. John, anything else here? we got about 10 seconds. No, just thank you all. Encourage you all to go to understandingthethreat.com, sign up for our newsletter, which plugs you into everything and share it with as many people as you can. Thank you and bless and, you. And John, you have an open invitation to come on this show anytime. Just contact me. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you, John. Take care.